Welcome to Finding the Front, brought to you by the proudly West Australian company, Euros Hartleys. This is a podcast series where we take time out to get to know the story behind the people who front some of Western Australia's leading companies. We look back at some of the moments in their life and career that shaped the journey to being the leader they are today and provide you with some real insights into the way they think and approach things, both in business and in life. So get the volume adjusted in your car or your headphones sorted and settle in for a great story. Here is your Finding the Front host, Tim Banfield. Welcome back to the story of Paul House, CEO of leading global mining tech company, Index. Let's crack on. For the person who doesn't really know Index that well, just give us a little bit of a background as to how you got involved, what your role was, and then how you've grown the business or taken it to the stage it is now. Because I do know that you know when the, when the market was in a little bit more of a decline, you know, we had a, a share price of below a dollar. You were involved and, you know, I know you were ambitious for the business at the time. You saw, you saw so much blue sky and here we are. It's really evolved. And I, I just, there's a journey in there that I'd love to sort of hear about. And I think it's very important for anyone that was listening just to hear that story. Yeah, sure. I think the, you know, the history of Index is really remarkable in terms of how it bootstrapped its way to where it is. And there's an expression, you know, what got you to here will not get you to there, meaning at some, every now and then you've got to take stock and work out, well, what have we got? What's working? Or what do we need to do, change differently in order to go to the next step? We were fortunate that the, between the board and the executive team, everyone was of like mind, that that was an opportunity, that we'd built a business to this stage and that there was an opportunity to do more. More than that, in individual product lines, there was a lot of competition we were in the business of trying to provide value to drilling companies and to resource companies, but we were doing it product by product by product. The opportunity was really to put together more integrated solutions and offer more comprehensive value to drillers and to resource companies. And so we set about a path of, well, what does that look like? What are we missing in terms of additional capabilities to create that solution? What are we missing organizationally to set the business up to go and give that value to our customers? And how do we define that in a strategic framework? And so about a year ago, you know, we pulled the organization together with a, with a strategic framework, which we borrowed very heavily from the playing to win strategic framework that Procter & Gamble use. Right. Um, and it's a really, yeah, and the, the principle there is, you know, you, could, you can develop a strategy for a product, you can develop a strategy for a company, but both of them become denuded over time. The only way to run sustainable, agile strategy in, a, in an organization is to embed strategic thinking into as many levels of the organization as possible. And so rather than develop a strategy, you teach strategy. And so using that strategic framework to help everyone in the organization who is responsible for making decisions, to make those decisions inside a strategic framework that ensures there's an alignment to the vision and purpose of your organization is the most powerful and enabling thing. And so the minute you start down that process, you start to realize, well, we have all these core competencies, core capabilities in products, in people, in the network that we have. How can we best take advantage of those? How do we leverage those beyond the level we are today? And so that's the process we kicked off sort of 12, 18 months ago. And the services or products and services that you're providing, you're commodity agnostic. I thought that was quite, quite a good term that, I mean, I was doing my research, but as I say, for, for someone who's not familiar with Index, just explain a little bit about what you do as a business to generate some, some money. Yeah, Banner. So 
we are very focused in the mining industry and our role in the mining industry is to help drillers and resource companies find a resource, define it in terms of what you have and don't have, and then mine it with precision and quality and speed. And so the way we provide value in that is by drilling optimization tools that help you get to target quickly and work out what's there. And then the sensing tools that collect the data around all of the material rock properties of the ore body. Most mining decisions are made today based on either a lack of data or poor quality data. And we seek to solve both of those problems. So if we can provide better richness of data in terms of quantity and better quality of data in terms of accuracy, then you know that the decision-making after that will be improved. And so there's, a, there's an expression we use, and if you put good data in front of good people, they will make good decisions. And so it's finding ways that we are fulfilling that need. So in the mining industry today, typically when you don't have that information, you still make an assumption. Whether you have the data or not, you do make an assumption. Yes. And so the problem is very well known. Our opportunity is to try and find a way to make that a much more informed decision. Would you call Index a technology company or a mining company? We very we or a very, drilling company. Yeah, we services. Yeah, we we very specifically call ourselves a mining tech company, as distinct from a mining services company. Yes, uh, mining services is a very broad church, and it covers a, a large number of players, but they typically tend to be defined by being they might be a bit more capital heavy, you know, big yellow trucks or drill rigs. They're more people heavy, so a lot of you've got to mobilise a lot of people onto mine sites and remote operations. Index is neither of those two things. Right. They may not have intellectual property. We do. They may have one contract that's 10 or 15% of their revenue. We don't. We have a very broad base. They may be geographically constrained to Australia. We are truly global. And so for all of those reasons, the Index business model, by being capital light, people light, R&D intensive, enables us to provide technology solutions, therefore, that span all mining services and all mining companies uh, and all geographies. You must have a, a large budget spent on research and development. Yeah, we do. That's the fun bit. We use a guide of about 10% of revenue, so it's right. between 20 and $30 million a year, and there's no shortage of ideas about where to spend it. It's the discipline and rigour about picking the right projects to invest in. Yes. Tell me, with your clients, some household names within that client base across so, the world? Yeah, so all of the Tier 1 mining companies, all of the Tier 1 drilling companies, and Tier 2 and Tier 3 through. So. We operate in about 70% of mining, we're present on about 70% of mining projects around the world. And that, by definition, means we're exposed to all of the players, resource companies, drillers and others. Just moving a little bit, I mean, it's quite fascinating when you look at the, as I said earlier, the spread of clients around the world and the number of offices you have. What's your current headcount? It's about 541 uh, in 22 countries, but we sell in about 106 countries at the moment. Right. So the logical question is, how's the communication channels going with all of these people? <laughs> yeah, well, we used to travel a bit more, Banners, that's for sure. Well, that leads me to the impact of COVID um, as well. But I think more primarily is you would clearly have a pretty good, and, and I know you've alluded to this earlier, but a pretty good communication channel so that you can keep in touch. And with your knowledge and understanding of the different countries abroad and their requirements, how do you fit all that together? I think that's the fun bit. Uh, you're absolutely right. COVID was a delightful opportunity. I think the experience I had living and working in cultures prior to IMDEX was the perfect grounding. 
the way we talk to our teams today and the way we try to make sure that the distance between my office and the guys on the front line and a mine site in Brazil, for example, is as short as possible, is we run two weekly, I, I run two weekly video messages out to the teams. Uh, every two months, we run live town halls around the world. And at the next level down, we have a number of cross-communication teams or functional teams that cut across geographic boundaries and really make sure that Index is a, a global company that just happens to have its headquarters in Perth rather than a Perth company that happens to have operations around the world. And that distinction is culturally really important. And the key to that is, A, you've got to believe it, but B, you've got to live and breathe it by the way you communicate to your teams. Uh, and so what communications do you have with your group that are globally unifying as distinct from how do you make sure your messages are understood in a way that is relevant locally in the different markets in which we operate? And that balance, I think, is there's a bit of an art in that. But that's the fun bit, Dennis. Oh, you've done a phenomenal job to be able to capture the attention of all those people in different countries around the world and make it effective. And the effectiveness is the result of, clearly you put a lot of time into it, but that has to be a key plank or a key ingredient in terms of your natural progression you've experienced with Index, is the communication, the feeling of a team, would that be fair to say? Yeah, we've got a wonderful team. Yeah. It's really diverse and the breadth of skills and experiences inside our business. We have people that have been with the business for over 20 years. Uh, we have people who are joining the business for the first time, particularly because we're in a growth phase, of course, Banners. But we have been very fortunate in that we can attract and retain some of the really best people in every one of those disciplines, whether it's drilling capability, whether it's uh, geoscience, geophysics capabilities or whether it's any of the, the back office teams that actually are really instrumental to building a, our critical business capabilities that mean we can be effective in delivering services to our customers. And so I think that that tension is available in the market today. Most industries are going through a pretty strong upcycle, mining in particular. And so for us, having a strong employee value proposition, which is ultimately defined by the people that work with you, they're, they define the culture and they define who else will come and work with you try and deliver that yes. vision. The business itself, I said earlier, it's commodity agnostic. You are seeing, I'm sure you're seeing market data across a wide, the, all the mineral complex. Can you just give us a bit of an insight on what you're seeing? You know, in terms of the growth, the mining, how long the mining cycle is expected to last, how are you seeing it globally as well? Mining around the world at the moment is going through a pretty strong growth phase. All mining companies uh, have a desire to grow and to increase drilling and to provide and to fulfil uh, what is unmet demand at the moment. The only thing holding some jurisdictions back is the prevalence of COVID and any other consequential restrictions in place today. But everyone is finding ways to push through those barriers and, and keep growing. Yes. And so that growth is universal at the moment. You talked about commodities and our position being commodity agnostic. We continue to see strong growth in gold. Gold accounts for 50% of all mineral activity around the world today, consistently has done so. Then you have copper is about 20%, and then there's cobalt, nickel, lithium is about another 15%. So that, that, Those last categories are interesting. Yeah, I was so, going to say, the battery mineral complex. Yeah, so that's about 35% of all drilling expenditure on average in the world. Now, what we're seeing at the moment is with this trend towards decarbonisation leading to a demand for 
battery metals and the infrastructure required to support that kind of energy play. Uh, you're seeing demand for those metals go up, you're seeing strong commodity prices, uh, and you're starting to see the percentage of new projects go up in those areas. So although they account for 35% of all drilling spend, they're currently accounting for more than half, sometimes up to two-thirds of all new projects that are starting. Right. And so that is in direct response to this increased demand for copper. One of the interesting stats around copper is we're going to consume more copper in the next 12 to 15 years than we did in the last 100 years. Typically, it takes 15 to 20 years just to bring a copper mine to market. And so the need to find more copper ore bodies requires a lot more drilling. And so you have mining companies, drillers, and then technology providers like us all lining up to find smarter, more efficient ways to fulfill that demand which really is our critical role in making society a a much better place. And I think one of the challenges that we have in the mining industry is articulating to society how critical the mining industry is to its own survival and how essential mining is to society's continued survival. There's a cliche that says everything we consume is typically farmed or mined. By definition, that makes those two professions, some of the most noble you can anticipate in. Now, trying to argue that mining is a noble industry, it's got a small marketing problem, Banners. And certainly there's, there's bad actors uh, within the mining space. And there are, there's obviously thermal coal as distinct from met coal, which is probably the more heavily impacted in this conversation around decarbonisation. And my view is that the, you know, the outlook for the industry is very strong. But the understanding between society and the role of mining in fulfilling society's desire is still, there's still an opportunity to improve that awareness. It's, that's a very good insight. Regionally, though, if you look around the world, where are you seeing the growth? I mean, it's, it's a stat on gold that I was quite fascinated with, but where are you seeing regionally? Are there any pockets that are growing in any particular commodity more than others? Well, certainly uh, North America and Australia as general regions are growing faster than the others because they've found ways to navigate COVID-19 right. in the near term. Um, and then after that, in terms of commodities by regions, you're looking for, well, where are the larger copper, cobalt, deposits. nickel, lithium deposits? So you sort of tend to follow the commodity in that sense. Uh, so you're still seeing really strong activity go into South America following copper, of course whether that's Chile, Peru, Argentina in particular at the moment is quite strong. So you, you really you need to look at where those ore bodies exist today for where that next investment is going to be spent. And that's, I suppose, being reflected in indexes revenues. Yeah, so our revenue is a combination of you know, a strong market, which is nice. We set ourselves the target to grow above market. If we spend that amount of money on R&D, we should be growing above whatever the rising tide is in the marketplace. Uh, and certainly we've been pretty consistent at doing that. So whether that is by having the best products to win market share, uh, having multiple products that allows us to put better solutions to our customers, or adding additional products through R&D or acquisition that just broadens our offering, those three levers all mean that we are well positioned to outgrow the general market growth. Right. You've clearly had some pretty defining characters within your career that you've been able to leverage off and learn from. Which is just unreal. Tell me, how are you getting that today? Who, who are the mentors in your life? Yeah, great. So you're, you're right. We've had, I've had been very lucky to have some great people around me over the, over the years. Today, you know, I think the, 
the stimulation for me comes from our our board is an ex- is a really beautiful complex mix of skills and backgrounds. So every member of our board comes from a quite a slightly different background. All have very strong personalities, strong voices in the rooms. Every one of them very influential in their own right. So that today is pivotal to me in my current role. And so I get a lot of uh, comfort and support out of that. We are quite good in our business at getting counselling and coaching and career support. So our exec and senior talent in our organisation, we also reach out to people outside of the organisation that, that often provide that for us. Just, uh, yeah, that's interesting. With your board, just give us a quick snapshot on the, the calibre of that board. Yeah, it's pretty, it's very strong. I mean, I mean, Anthony as our chair, has very strong corporate finance, very strong diversified industrial services, which by itself can be a very complex area uh, because each business is usually quite unique. And so being able to understand what levers drive that business uh, is, is a very strong skill. Sally Ann Lehman, who sits on the board of Beach and Newcrest and, and others, truly global mining industry professional, um, a mining engineer, back at a time when that was really quite a groundbreaking profession for strong female leads to go into that career. Trace Arlo, similarly, a geochemist and a mining engineer that uh, sits on our board based out of Denver and Colorado and probably one of the leading underground block caving experts in the world and again, a critical voice of the customer as you, when you look at the technologies we're trying to bring through. Ivan Gustavino is probably the number one mining tech and tech, uh, but particularly mining tech advisor in the world uh, and has a really great instinct for emerging technologies and which ones will work and which teams are best positioned to unlock their potential. And Kevin Dundo, who is a really strongly commercial lawyer, has great depth of knowledge of our business uh, and is obviously integrally involved in, in the mining industry in Australia in particular. So you're just a really great complement of skills that we have. And on, on top of that, we, we have a number of advisory board guys. We recently do a bit of work with Chris Salisbury, the ex-CEO of Rio Tinto Iron Ore. He provides an advisory role into our mining product development. I work with a guy out of Oak Ridge National Laboratory in the US for understanding geospatial and data-related technologies and trends, and he's, uh, he's a remarkable man. He was involved in the development of data platforms and geospatial platforms for the agricultural sector and the military sector, and so now applying that into the mining sector is very strong. Wow, yep. And so just a really great collection of people that bring oh, deep very, domain knowledge. Very and, high calibre. Yeah, and generous with their time, really generous with their time. They like, they like us, they like the people they work with, and they like solving the same kind of problems. Oh, you're very fortunate. How do you feel WA is going? With that real international look and feel that you have now. WA is certainly lucky to be in the position it's in and have had to be so unencumbered for, as a general statement around the state and all the people who live and work within it. That said, that doesn't come without a cost. And so to what extent have we been unable to, whether it's at a social and community level or at a business level, being able to fulfil unmet need? And so at some point, you cross over the line between what are you saving versus what are you losing. As the rest of the world starts to awaken and start uh, engaging again, there are a significant amount of resources to be deployed 
to solve some of the critical problems like battery metals or decarbonisation innovation around new energy challenges. Having the opportunity to be present and participate and have partnerships that go across borders is now going to be vital. So the longer we leave it, the risk that we do not get access to those partnerships, those funds, those opportunities, the risk that we do not get access to the talent to bring them in to help solve those problems, I think will set us back. It's not too late. We are close. And so it's really about making sure we get that balance in when we transition out of uh, our very tight control regime at the moment and let find, find smoother ways to allow people to come and go, whether personally or professionally, to take advantage of what I think is very real in terms of the next economic stimulus. I think that's unresolved at this time, but we need to get it right. So, Paul, just outside of work, let's just talk about general family life. How's it all going? What keeps you busy? Your two kids, I'm sure. Yeah, the two kids are great. Year 12 and year 10, and you know, big changes coming ahead for both of them. And as much as Hannah and I would like to guide them, you also have to want to listen, and that doesn't happen as much as... So I guess that's a normal parenting story, Banners, and you would know that as well as me. My wife's still great counsel to me and does her master's in public health besides. And aside from that, a lot of running, a lot of reading, as much fishing as I can do when I get the chance. What's your favourite book at the moment? Oh, I've just read Command and Control by Eric Schlosser, an amazing book that it's this book that talks about the history of the development of nuclear weapons in the US and all of the near misses and accidents that they had. And every now and then they tell a story and you end up just looking out the window, just wondering how is it that we're all still alive. <laughs> it's a great book. It's really a book about safety systems more than anything else. But right. it's, a, it's a well-written thrill ride, if that's, if that's even possible. Uh, but that's a tremendous book, as is... There's a book called uh, The Dundo Investor, which is an Indian investment philosophy that comes out of a particular sect of the Indian population called the Mawaris. In fact, it was put to me, although I lived in India, I actually first heard of the book through Raleigh Finlayson, but it's a fantastic read. Wow. Write that one down. And look, I must say that our conversation has just gone on so many different levels and you've had an outstanding career. You really should be proud of what you've done. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do in the next four or five years because it sounds to me like we're only starting to scratch the surface. Foothills of the Himalayas is the way we talk about it. And yeah, look, lot to do. But it's, at the end of the day, it's good fun. It's not a career, it's a life. And so, uh, you know, I made the point earlier that you've got to uh, go somewhere to live and then the work comes an outworking of that. And uh, I'd like to think that's the way we set our businesses up to run. Look, mate, thanks very much for your time. We really appreciate it once again. You know, I know you're a busy person, but thanks again. Cheers, Banners. Great to see you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding the Front, brought to you by the proudly West Australian wealth management and diversified financial services company, Euros Harleys. If you like what you heard, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and subscribe to the podcast through your podcast host of choice. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please email our fabulous producer, Bridget, on communications at euroshartleys.com or visit our website at www.euroshartleys.com. This podcast has been general information only. Euros Hartleys holds Australian Financial Services Licence 230052.